Chapter Twenty One of the Heart of Philura by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One The Confession. The minister came home from the funeral that afternoon rather earlier than he expected. Rufus, he stated, referring to the sorrel horse, had travelled well on the way home. Mrs. Pettibone recalled that it was the habit of Rufus to travel well when headed toward his manger. "'I hope,' said the minister, looking narrowly at her, "'you haven't been working too hard during my absence.' "'Oh, no,' denied Mrs. Pettibone, casting down her eyes. "'There wasn't much to do.' From his ignorant masculine viewpoint, there was never much to do in the parsonage. How could there be, with only the two of them? Nevertheless, he continued to gaze at her, a puzzled look in his kindly eyes. "'Has anyone been here?' he asked. Mrs. Pettibone appeared to reflect, her eyes still avoiding his. "'Yes,' she said with visible reluctance. "'That young woman from the Eggleston house.' "'Indeed!' cried the minister. "'That is encouraging. I was hoping we might get some hold upon them. They seem rather unusual people.' "'Yes.' murmured Mrs. Pettibone. They are. She moved away from him, her thoughts centred determinedly upon the kitchen. You must be hungry, she said. I'll have supper early. Thank you, my dear. I believe I am, now that you speak of it. He turned abruptly toward his study. I shall work on my sermon until you're ready. And he rumpled up his hair in the way she knew so well. She perceived that already he had forgotten the half-formed questions in his mind. But seated at their modest supper-table, he again referred to the matter. "'Did you have a pleasant visit with that young person, Mrs. Hill?' he inquired, as he sprinkled his second-baked potato with salt and inserted a small, a very small, lump of butter in its steaming interior. His wife did not answer. And after a pause, he spoke again. I recall the fact that we found the younger Mrs. Hill's personality rather uninteresting, didn't we? She seemed very young and, well, rather sullen. That, at least, is the impression she made upon me. He glanced inquiringly across the table at Mrs. Pettibone, who was nervously crumbling a slice of bread beside her plate. She was not the sort of woman to crumble bread in so aimless and wasteful a manner. He continued to eye her with growing astonishment. "'Did the young woman ask for me?' he inquired. "'I am apt to be at home of a Saturday, but I don't recall mentioning the fact to the hills.' "'Ought I to tell you?' The spot of colour in her cheek had deepened to scarlet. "'Ought you to tell me?' You're referring to... Am I to understand that something of an unusual nature took place during my absence? I can think of no reason why you should not tell me everything. I've been wondering, she said humbly, whether I said the right thing. I didn't know at first. And one who has thought small, mean thoughts for so many years... I did, you know... <laughs> I used to think God was a large, severe person, sitting up in the clouds somewhere and watching me, always displeased with what I did, 
and yes trying to think of some new way to make me unhappy of course i knew i deserved it you didn't tell her all that my dear demanded the minister who had forgotten to eat his potato oh surely you didn't oh no oh no indeed i said she must pray and believe and that everything would come right i said he was in the all-encircling good i felt sure he was alive i don't know why but i did and i told her so but afterward well, it came over me all of a sudden if he should be dead or if he was bad as mrs hill seemed to suppose and one can't help thinking really my dear interrupted the minister i shall have to ask you to explain i can make neither head nor tail of what you're telling me unless you explicitly promise the young person to say nothing to me i conceive that i should be told at once of all that took place thus encouraged she told him the substance of what had passed between her and the young woman from the old eggleston farm he listened in silence his forehead knit in troubled thought if i told her what wasn't true she said how terrible it would be perhaps i ought he looked across at her a smile dawning in his eyes my dear he said in a slow deep voice could any facts however disastrous alter the nature of god she drew a half sobbing breath oh i suppose not she murmured but i told her i led her to expect for thou wilt light my candle he quoted the lord my god will enlighten my darkness we must believe that my dear if we let everything else go by the board oh you mean she looked at him humbly if our own candle is a light and another comes to us in the dark her face became suddenly illumined i see she said it is like lighting a candle blown out in the wind and one ought obviously he said one can do no less he lingered his hands thrust deep in his pockets musing look upon his face while she began removing the remnants of their meal well that explains something he said after a brief silence something which well, disturbed me unreasonably i had not intended speaking of it to you she looked at him inquiringly i drove home to-night by way of the old eggleston road and as i rounded the corner by the big oak tree you know the place i came upon young hill and milly they were talking earnestly and as i passed i couldn't help noticing their faces she uttered a slight exclamation of dismay the young fellow was flushed and eager he's a handsome chap by the way and milly milly had been crying i think oh i hope not breathed mrs pettibone her face had once more taken on a look of poignant distress oh tut tut said the minister smiling down at her how about the all encircling good doesn't it embrace those two you didn't think so till you knew she retaliated he sighed true he acknowledged 
oh the body of this death and its cowardly carnal mind well my dear i'm not fit to write sermons but it appears to be my job if it wasn't for you and your occasional clear seeing you see i'm not making you too perfect but if it wasn't for you miss philura i'm afraid i should often miss the truth of things altogether unwisely perhaps she turned to face him a wan little smile curving her tremulous lips you oughtn't to say that she murmured her voice shaken with the hard beating of her heart you wouldn't if you knew everything about me she tried to meet his gaze unflinchingly but alas miss philura had never quite mastered the gentle art of dissembling her voice broke piteously over the last word he gazed at her in silence while she made blind pretence of brushing imaginary crumbs from a spotless tablecloth i'm afraid you've been working too hard today," he said gently drawing her toward him come into the study dear and give an account of yourself but at the threshold she drew back oh, not there she begged rather wildly i, I oh silas i've been deceiving you all these months his face whitened slowly well he had been afraid of it had all along been conscious of something not well hidden in that transparent breast of hers he led her all shaken with sobs to the shabby old sofa and sat down at her side but not touching her god helping him he would play the man now he said masterfully you'll tell me what this means don't be afraid dear he added with a gentleness in which there was no touch of compulsion but only a great weariness i shall understand already he had passed in swift review the months of their brief engagement of their marriage too long she had lived the life of a cloistered nun he was thinking to bear his rude transplanting he should have been satisfied with her friendship which she would have poured out for him drop by drop with delicate frugality but now i i cleaned your study she began her head hanging all the colour gone out of her face you cleaned your study yes oh you asked me not to you forbade me but i did i've done it ever so many times and always when you were away and i pretended i was careful to arrange everything so you wouldn't know he glanced about him with slow bewilderment nothing had been changed the simpkins commentary on the pauline epistles lay just where he'd left it the day before on the writing-table were the loose sheets of his unfinished sermon and on the floor you cleaned he repeated dazedly oh hang the study i don't care if you turn it inside out every day from now on what i want to know is why did you cry when i said i couldn't write sermons without you there was another matter as he soon found out mrs pettibone it is true wiped her eyes and tried to smile her appreciation of the splendid generosity of his surrender on the question of the study she assured him with touching earnestness that she wouldn't turn the room inside out every day but only at stated intervals 
and with the same care and attention with which she had guiltily deceived him in the past. "'But you haven't answered my question,' he persisted, turning her small face up to his and looking deep into her eyes. "'There's something else. You must tell me what it is.' She was mute under his inquisitorial gaze, trembling a little, but not attempting to look away. "'Tell me,' he begged, "'as you hope for our happiness.' And thus adjured, she began in a small, faint voice. "'Well, one day, a long time ago, "'I took everything off your writing-table.' "'Yes,' he said, a smile creeping about the corners of his lips. "'You have already confessed to that enormity. "'I dusted your blotting-pad.' Well, he encouraged her. She drew a quick breath, gazing at him incredulously. You didn't mean that I should see. I had no right to dust my blotting pad. Well, possibly not. But I hereby grant you the inclusive and exclusive right to... The look in her eyes stopped him. What? What? he began. She arose and walked steadily to the writing-table. He followed her in perplexed silence. "'You didn't mean that I should see this,' she said, and gave him the picture. A slight exclamation escaped him at sight of it, and then he stood quite still, looking at the pictured face. She was seeing it too, the wistful mouth with its half-smiling, half-sad look of expectancy, the loose, dark curl lying softly upon the whiteness of the graceful neck, the deep, questioning eyes. Presently he sighed. "'You found this?' he said, looking up at last. "'It fell out when I, I put it back. I knew I had no right.' Her voice trailed off in a minor key, infinitely touching in its hopeless appeal and her shamed eyes begged his forgiveness. "'No right,' he repeated gently. He put out his hand and led her back to the sofa. "'My dear,' he said, after a silence which somehow soothed and comforted her, "'I loved Mary. She was beautiful, as you know, and I was hardly more than a boy when we were married. We were happy.' He sighed his eyes not now on the picture, but, as it seemed to her, breathing stilly at his side, afar off, intent upon some distant scene of a poignantly regretted past. He roused himself after a little and looked down at her questioningly. "'Did you suppose I had hidden it?' he asked, with entire unexpectedness. "'And that all this time I had been brooding over it, quite in secret?' "'No, dear.' I shall have to confess I didn't know it was there. Somebody, she's Wessels, no doubt, must have slipped it under the blotter long ago. A quaint, almost humorous smile touched his grave lips at sight of her awakening face. She stirred ever so little, the colour stealing back to cheeks and lips. If you had, she murmured, I should not have wondered, nor blamed you. She was so beautiful, and I... He took her in his arms. You are very dear, he whispered, and I 
I love you. Quite unnoticed, the photograph slipped to the floor and lay there, its dimmed loveliness face down upon the carpet. End of chapter 21